the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And we welcome you to this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. There are mandatory orders now for evacuation of Calistoga. So residents of the Calistoga area, you are being advised to please evacuate the area immediately. As we have continued to follow the progress of the fires over the last 48 hours, clearly there's yet no let-up in the misery or destruction here in Northern California as some 21 separate wildfires continue to ravage our region. Reporter Joe McConnell has the latest from Sonoma. Stress levels are at peak levels for those living anywhere here in the Sonoma, Napa, and Solano County areas. As we enter the third day of these massive and deadly wildfires, the flames are shifting around, they're changing direction even in the relatively calm winds. And now forecasters are expecting the winds to increase again late this afternoon. Residents in areas that had been untouched early yesterday were placed under mandatory evacuations by afternoon or overnight and early this morning, including portions of the Sonoma Valley Hills, parts of the city of Calistoga, Bennett Valley, Sonoma Mountain, and well to the north outside Geyserville. Hundreds more homeowners forced to flee and wonder if their home, their castle, will be burned to the ground. In Sonoma, Joe McConnell, NBC News Radio. Looking at the fire since Sunday night, here are the numbers. So far, 21 dead, 380 individuals still considered missing. More than 3,500 buildings have been destroyed. More than 8,000 firefighters from across the state and neighboring states are engaged in fighting the flames. 170,000 acres have been burned in 22 separate fires. 73 helicopters and 30 air tankers are involved in fighting the flames. And as we speak tonight, some 50,000 residents of Northern California remain without power. If there was ever a time for California to pray, this certainly is it. Joining me now on the line is Pastor Kevin Finkbeiner. He is Senior Pastor at New Life Christian Fellowship in Petaluma. Pastor Finkbeiner, thanks so much for taking time. I know it has been a very hectic several days for you and your congregation. Give us a bit of a report as to what's going on in your part of Northern California at the moment, and also give us some perspective in terms of the great efforts that your church has done in opening its doors and providing emergency shelters to so many thousands of people that have been displaced by these horrific fires. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Craig. Uh, you know, we're trying to partner with people here as they're coming in, uh, and we have had increased numbers even today as more areas are being evacuated. Um, the, the scene here at the church is spirits are good. We're working really hard to uh, care for our guests who have been displaced by these fires and serve them in any way we can. Uh, we are a facility that we created this church, we built this church nine years ago from an old warehouse and built it as a, an emergency shelter should the need arise. And uh, we didn't want this to happen, but we planned for it, and it's been working well. So we've got a medical team on site here. We've got rooms for pets to come so that owners can have their animals here. Uh, we've got children's areas. We've got movies going. 
Uh, we have showers for both men and women, and we've got food coming in all throughout the day and into the night. So things are going uh, as well as we can have here. Our team is working hard to serve and love this community. You know, when most pastors think about a new church plant, they think about ministering to the local community and where that church is planted. Maybe it starts in a, a living room or maybe in a small rented facility, a hotel, a storefront, whatever the case might be. There are thoughts about uh, ministry to the folks that live in the immediate area, in the neighborhood of the church, certainly ministry to, to young people, things of that sort. Uh, I would imagine most pastors would be completely overwhelmed by the notion of having to not only meet the spiritual needs of the community, but now suddenly find yourself in in real serious relief efforts. I mean, this this is kind of on a, a par with what the Red Cross is doing, I guess, with the added addition of not only addressing many of the felt needs, but certainly addressing the spiritual needs. Speak to that, if you would, Pastor. Absolutely. So what we've been working hard to do, and we're so fortunate to be part of the larger body of Christ, we have a number of retired fire chiefs here in the church, so they've set up a command structure with us to be able to work with partnering organizations on the physical needs. And then we've been working with chaplains throughout the city, other pastors whose churches aren't being used as centers have been coming over to meet spiritual needs as well as partnering with Christian marriage and family therapists uh, to meet those needs. And really what we're trying to do is get the right people in the right places to be able to minister to our community as they come in. There's a tremendous sense then of not only a triage, but I I would imagine long term, many that are coming through your doors have got to be absolutely devastated. Uh, Looking at the work of a lifetime, many people that we've seen interviewed on television have talked about the loss of family memories. They've lost photographs of weddings and babies, you know, taking their first steps, Uh, keepsakes like uh, family heirlooms, things of that sort. And and certainly none of it, it would compare with what it would mean to lose a physical life. But that said, I would imagine the sense of just emotional despair that a lot of people have got to be feeling is is pretty over the top at the moment. It is pretty over the top. What we're seeing is uh, people in various just states of shock with the surreal nature of this, and then as the reality sets in, uh, that's where uh, our, our chaplains, our marriage and family therapists, our pastors, as well as we're partnering with a health center just uh, two buildings away from us, and they've sent over some mental health experts as well. That's where we're really trying to, to uh, meet needs uh, as people are coming into moments of awareness about what this will mean long-term and the gravity of it sets in. We're really working hard to be there in those moments. It's interesting how a lot of believers will go through their Christian walk, their Christian life experience, uh, sometimes struggling with trying to figure out, well, what has God called me to do? Where can I be most effective for the kingdom? Um, it, it looks as if, in one sense, sadly, uh, the the opportunity for ministry in, in a real significant way has literally been dropped at your doorstep there, and a lot of people in your congregation afforded the opportunity to uh, to minister at a time during a crisis in in the lives of a lot of people that that simply doesn't compare with anything else, especially when you add in the component of the loss of life. It's true. Uh, we are we're just wrapping up this weekend a six week uh, teaching series about who we're going to be for the next twenty years as we celebrate our twentieth anniversary as a church. And I've called our church to do three key things as we serve and love our community and serve and love God which is to pray each day at 112 for the 112,000 people in our community, in our immediate reach area. 
to know our go, which is to know our strategic area of service, and we've been talking a lot about that, and then to live our gift, to give generously, to be able to partner with God and the things He's doing in our community. And this last three days has given us the opportunity to really live out the things that we've been learning over the past six weeks. I would imagine that uh, this is going to be in for the long haul. In other words, uh, as long as the the immediate nature of this disaster continues to loom, uh, the doors will remain open, volunteers will be there? Yes, we're working with the uh, Emergency Operations Center for Petaluma as one of uh, nine sites here, and we've let them know that we're here as long as the immediate need is necessary. And then we're also working with uh, churches in Santa Rosa that have been hit the hardest, already meeting with a pastor's network there, and we've got uh, clothes set up, birth through adult sizes, and talking with them about being more of a long-term distribution center for clothes and non-perishable goods as church community members and houses are trying to uh, figure out what their next steps are for the long term. So we're doing immediate triage now and then figuring out mid-range plans and long-range plans. Pastor, we appreciate you taking time. I know that it has been an overwhelmingly hectic several days here, and um, certainly the body of believers down in the other end of the Bay Area will continue to pray for you and the congregation there at New Life Christian Fellowship. God bless you for what you're doing. Uh, Keep up the good work. It's a difficult set of circumstances in every regard, and I would imagine there, there have to be, in addition to the community that you're ministering to, a lot of folks even that are members of the congregation that have been impacted by this, I would imagine. Had, uh, a friend of mine in the church just walked by me with two of his dogs. He was one of the most recent evacuees to show up, and so it has definitely hit our community hard. There's not one person in the greater Petaluma in Sonoma area who's not immediately affected with a family member or a close loved one who's had just lost everything. So thank you for taking the time to, to allow us to be on, and thank you for praying for us and partnering with us. Well, be strong. We'll continue to urge our listeners throughout Northern California in the 50,000-watt reach of KFAX to uh, pray for not just the community, but specifically uh, the ministry opportunity that um, has befallen, in a sense, uh, the family there of New Life Christian Fellowship in Petaluma. So, again, Godspeed, and we'll continue to pray for you. There is Pastor Kevin Finkbeiner, and he is senior pastor at New Life Christian Fellowship in Petaluma that has been involved in everything from uh, triage to meeting uh, physical needs and certainly addressing a lot of the long-term spiritual needs. A little bit later on in tonight's program, we're going to speak with um, Reverend Andrea Raynor. She is, in fact, the chaplain to the Rye, New York Fire Department. She was on scene serving as a grief counselor and chaplain at the morgue at Ground Zero in the days immediately after the uh, 9-11 event in New York City. She will join us to talk about grief and what it means to try and grapple with the tremendous loss, um, particularly in the wake of what we've seen transpire here in the Bay Area over the last 72 hours. All right, again, our thanks to Pastor Kevin Finkbeiner for being with us tonight. Uh, Let's get another update, if we can, quickly before we are uh, joined by uh, another guest this evening. Uh, The wildfires, as we've mentioned, have been absolutely uh, unbelievable in terms of the scope of damage throughout Northern California. In a news conference today, Cal Fire Director Ken Pimlot said the state has returned to red flag conditions that largely due to the winds coming back up again. The red flag warning means conditions are ideal 
ideal for a wildland fire to spread rapidly. So far, some 22 major fires have burned more than 170,000 acres throughout northern California, mostly concentrated in eight California counties. Thousands of people have been evacuated, as you know. Let's get the latest on this story. We uh, have returned today to red flag conditions, uh, very dry humidities, uh, 8% in many locations, uh, and winds that are surfacing out of the north uh, in some places 40 miles an hour. We have over 22 fires, major fires, burning in California, primarily in eight counties here in northern California. Over 170,000 acres has burned. We are still impacted by five years of drought. With the significant rain that we had last winter, those effects are gone of that moisture, and we are literally looking at explosive vegetation. Oregon, Nevada, Washington, and Arizona have all stepped up to the plate. Uh, We are also working uh, through our federal partners to get additional fire resources from around the country. 73 helicopters, 30 air tankers, and uh, all totaled, close to 8,000 firefighters committed uh, to the firefight. And, of course, um, as the death toll continues to climb, we currently the latest uh, report is 21 dead. They are anticipating that number may grow higher in the coming days as currently some 380 individuals in the region continue to be unaccounted for. All right, we're at 517. Let's take a timeout. Let's get you at least updated on some traffic here over at the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael Bennett. Michael, what's going on out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we are back. The uh, entire city of Calistoga is now under mandatory evacuation orders as the fire situation continues to deteriorate. The fire officials now giving an update. Let's listen live. To assist Cal Fire with fire mapping and FEMA and Cal Fire with mapping damaged structures and destroyed structures for recovery. In addition to the forces we have now, we, the governor ordered today that we bring up an additional 2,500 soldiers and airmen to be available to support law enforcement, emergency managers, fire uh, services in the area. We are in coordination with our neighboring states and bringing assets from Nevada and prepared to bring assets from Oregon if necessary. We're also in coordination with the Pentagon if we need any assets from the active Army, Navy, Air Force, or Marines. In addition to our support for consequence management, the California National Guard has some firefighting capability that's available if CAL FIRE needs it. We've ordered up 13 firefighting helicopters, two medical evacuation helicopters, and in addition, we have uh, Type 2 hand crews that are available if needed. Thank you. Thank you, sir. We have one additional uh, operational speaker before we get to uh, three local uh, council people, and that would be uh, Acting CHP uh, Commissioner Warren Stanley. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. As far as the California Highway Patrol and our support of of this fire, we have 73 personnel in this area between uh, the two fires uh, that are helping out with traffic control, uh, general law enforcement, and also to uh, prevent looting. Uh, just about an hour ago, um, we uh, made a plan that we are moving in 100 additional officers into the area to help out with evacuations if needed. So they will be uh, showing up to this area uh, very shortly. Just uh, brief the sheriff on that. So we'll have those uh, personnel in place just in case we need them. Additionally, on the first night of the fire, uh, two of our helicopter rescue units, uh, one here in the area from the Napa Airport and one from our Air Operations Unit, 
in Reading, uh, they rescued uh, 44 people from the fire. 44 people, five dogs, and I believe one cat uh, that they were able to rescue when people came out and they brought their, their pets and animals with them. So we are very happy that we were able to uh, provide that support. In the coming days, we'll be reevaluating re to see what's needed in the area at this fire and other fires. Uh, but I just want to say one thing, uh, in the areas that are around the fire, and then uh, we all know that we can see uh, Highway 101 is open. I, I would just ask, unless you absolutely need to be in the area, stay, stay away from the area so we can keep the roadways open, can keep them moving, so our fire personnel, our law enforcement personnel, and our other personnel who are providing services uh, to this emergency, uh, they're able to get in and get out very easily and get their equipment in and out. Uh, so thank you very much for your time. Thank you, sir. Uh, from the County of Sonoma, we have Chairwoman Zane. Thank you. Um, also, my colleagues will be offering some information as well. Um, so first of all, I want to say, um, I want to st stress what the sheriff said, all um, people should show up regardless of whether you're a documented immigrant to our evacuation sites. We are there to serve you. Um, my heart goes out to every person that's affected by this disaster. And I know that many emergency personnel and their loved ones have lost their homes and yet they're still showing up to serve our community. Our emergency personnel are working around the clock to provide information to the community. And a few key places to find information include um, the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office, Nixel, uh, SoCalAlert.com is another good way. And also the EOC hotline, which is 707-565-3856. Many of our evacuees had to flee their homes with little time to prepare. And so if you didn't bring your medications when you've evacuated, the pharmacies are open to assist with filling prescriptions. A full list of pharmacies is available on our county website where there is a lot of information. We're also offering mental health services at many of the evacuation centers to comfort our community during this difficult time, as well as geriatric care managers. We know that many of you are unable to find a loved one. The American Red Cross also has a safe and well website that allows you to register when you're safe. And if you're looking for someone, you can also again call the EOC hotline 565-3856. I'll re I'll repeat that to file a missing person report. If you're in a safe place and not in a mandatory evacuation area, please stay there. We wanna keep our roads for emergency personnel open. And now I'll hand it over to um, Supervisor Rabbit and Supervisor Hopkins who have additional information. Thank you very much and uh, appreciate everyone being here and everyone behind me. The uh, resources and the logistics here are incredible. I just saw a strike force team, I believe it's from the state of Oregon. I can't say thank you enough to everyone for helping us out. As we go forward, we are in the process of setting up a local assistance center. LACs, as they're called, are staffed by local, state, and federal agencies, as well as nonprofit and voluntary organizations. The LAC provides a one-stop facility where you can access all available recovery programs and services. And this can include replacing important documents, such as driver's license, social security cards, assistance with insurance, and streamlined permitting, as well as many other services. And we hope to have that up uh, very soon. 
and we're going to put that in convenient locations for all those that have been evacuated. And I'm going to turn it over to my colleague, Supervisor Linda Hopkins. I just want to say that I am absolutely honored to serve with a number of stellar representatives who are coming together. We have local, state, and federal agencies, elected officials, and staffs working together around the clock to protect lives and properties. With that said, when you're facing a disaster of this magnitude that is unprecedented in our county, we will need all the help that we can get. And so I am asking you to open not just your hearts to the victims of the fire, but also your homes and in most importantly, your wallets. We have set up a fantastic collaboration with Redwood Credit Union, which has created the North Bay Fire Relief Fund. I would encourage you to give. Give until it hurts, because there are a lot of people who are hurting right now. And if you are lucky enough to have a home, please consider donating to those less fortunate. Thank you, Supervisor. And thank you for everybody uh, who's working so uh, closely hand in hand to mitigate this situation. Uh, we, I know we do have a, a large contingent of uh, representatives from all agencies and government organizations. Uh, and instead of doing the, the two-step shuffle to get everybody up here for the right questions, what we're going to do is break out. And if you have a specific question... Right, you've been listening to a, a live press conference regarding the North Bay wildfires and, of course, the most recent news out of the region. The entire city of Calistoga is now under mandatory evacuation orders as the fire situation continues to deteriorate. Evacuees are being advised to head for shelter at American Canyon High School, which is located at 3000 Newell Drive. That's American Canyon High School at 3000 Newell Drive, where an emergency shelter has been set up. The mayor is warning the estimated 5,300 residents in California, in the Calistoga area, that no one will be available to rescue them. So once again, the entire city of Calistoga is under emergency mandatory evacuation orders. They are now advised to please leave your homes, head for shelter at American Canyon High School at 3000 Newell Drive. That's 3000 Newell Drive. Let's get an update on traffic, shall we? Head over to the KFAX Traffic Center at 5.30. Michael Bennett's got the latest. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, 5.33 on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. A couple of updates for you. First, the Patrick Fire in Napa County. Right now, the firefighters reporting it's only 2% contained. Cal Fire says more than 9,500 acres have burned off of Patrick Road in the area between Highways 12 and 29, not far from the eastern edge of Sonoma. An estimated 5,000 structures considered threatened in that area. Patrick Road right now is closed all the way over to Browns Valley Road. We mentioned a few moments ago, and it was a reiteration from Michael Bennett, about the order for Calistoga residents to please evacuate. Again, this is mandatory evacuation for the entire city of Calistoga. Orders there for residents to find shelter at American Canyon High School located at 3000 Newell Drive. Again, that is a mandatory evacuation order for residents of Calistoga to find shelter at American Canyon High School at 3000 Newell Drive. In addition to that mandatory evacuation, the Sonoma County Sheriff is now issuing an advisory evacuation for Boise Hot Springs and the north side of Sonoma. Residents there are being advised to pack what's necessary and head south for Petaluma. Again, this is not a mandatory evacuation. However, authorities in 
the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office are issuing an advisory evacuation for Boise Hot Springs and the north side of Sonoma, advising residents to pack what's necessary and head south for Petaluma. More than 20,000 people in Northern California have been displaced as a result of these multiple fires. And joining me now with an update is the Executive Director of the Bay Area Rescue Mission, Reverend John Anderson. Reverend Anderson, thank you for being with us tonight on such short notice. We know that typically emergency response isn't the, the, the day-to-day operation of what the Bay Area Rescue Mission does, but I think in a situation like this, it's almost as if you had no choice but to step up to this and, and kind of move into emergency mode because of just the sheer numbers of people, John, that have been impacted. It's really true, Craig, and what a blessing that God's people are responding to reach out to people whose lives are truly being devastated by all of these fires and this situation. Uh, Craig, you know, uh, 17 fires over the last two days, 115,000 acres of land burned, 2,000 homes, goodness, about 25,000 people displaced, and uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, 180 people are missing, Uh, 15 have lost their lives that that we know about so far. I I can't just help but think about Matthew chapter 25, uh, verses 34 through 36. Where Jesus said, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I needed clothing, I was sick, I was in prison, and you took care of all of these things. At the Bay Area Rescue Mission, we stepped up, uh, we started planning uh, early yesterday evening what we could do to help, and we we took a uh, one of our large largest trucks up to the uh, rescue mission in Santa Rosa earlier today, and it was just absolutely packed with food, clothing, water, mattresses, blankets, sleeping bags, and much more stuff. Uh, We've been able to provide some financial support to the local rescue mission up there to help them with emergency relief. And uh, we're reaching out to social service agencies, the rescue missions up in Napa, Sonoma areas, and saying, look, if if we can help provide shelter and other support services, not to mention what we do really day in and day out, and share the hope of Jesus with people whose lives are in such critical need right now, well, that's what we're doing. And my leadership team has just been amazing in stepping up and helping to accomplish this. And you know, John, when you think about the overwhelming impact on not just individuals and families who have, in many cases, lost their homes. They may have lost their place of work, so the job is gone, their home is gone. They're asking many critical questions right now about why God and where God, the opportunity to be able to minister to those immediate spiritual needs in such a time of crisis is really what the Lord has called us to do. Moreover, we know from the reports that we've had in conversations with local authorities, everything is stretched to the max. Authorities are doing what they can, but the capacity 
city in that region of Northern California to virtually overnight meet the day-to-day needs and provide food and and shelter and clothing to upwards of 25,000 people is just more than local government authorities would ever hope to be prepared to meet. And so this is one of the reasons why the Bay Area Rescue Mission stepping up to the plate and filling in that gap at this time is so critically important. And if you've joined us late, Reverend John Anderson, the executive director of the Bay Area Rescue Mission, is on the line with us. And I understand, John, that in addition to uh, sending a truck north filled to the brim with food, supplies, everything from bedding and blankets, sleeping bags, food, coffee, water, all these other items that are urgently needed. We've heard reports of stores in the area, those that are open, those that have power, completely out of all of these resources because it's just, again, everything is so taxed at this point that bringing things in from this section of the Bay Area to that North Bay section is really the only answer. And I understand also that the Bay Area Rescue Mission is making provisions to open up additional shelter for families that are displaced that can't get into local hotels or motels or find shelter elsewhere. Is that true? We're we're doing the best we can, Craig. We're we're providing emergency shelter. Uh, you know, our plan right now is to be back up in the Santa Rosa area and offer transportation back to our facilities tomorrow, uh, if there if that's needed. So we're we're just going to reach out and do as much as we can. Uh, <laughs> kind of stretching us a little bit thin, but uh, God has a way of providing. Well, we've seen a number of churches that have opened their doors, and now is the opportunity for the Church of Christ, the body of believers, to open their hearts and, quite frankly, open their wallets to help support um, the emergency response to this critical need for friends and family and neighbors right now. And I'll mention again that uh, on the heels of just the devastation to property and uh, people that have been displaced, and with that, the law of life and the sheer number of people, upwards of 25,000 people that have been affected by this deadly fire in the last 48 hours. Um, as we mentioned, uh, the Bay Area Rescue Mission has uh, stepped in to help fill the gap by providing donations of bedding, blankets, sleeping bags, food, coffee, water, other materials, indeed, in addition to that, providing shelter as well. And if you'd like to um, help participate in um, defraying some of the costs, and supporting the Bay Area Rescue Mission in this emergency relief effort, we'd like to encourage you to go to bayarearescue.org and make your donation today. That's bayarearescue.org. If it's easier, you can give that gift by phone by calling 888-343-FOOD. That's 888-343-FOOD. And Reverend Anderson, of course, you, you mentioned about stretching the resources of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. My goodness, we're uh, we're heading quickly here into the winter season. Fall is upon us. That means the holidays will be here. Longtime listeners to KFAX know of the great work done by the Bay Area Rescue Mission in providing meals to needy families during the Thanksgiving season, as well as meals and Christmas toys for needy children during Christmas as well. So I guess this additional new emergency is just one more burden, so to speak, financially on the Bay Area Rescue Mission. So I would suppose that uh, the partnership with listeners and donations is very critical at this time. It it really is. Uh, You know, we're entirely privately funded. Uh, 
trying to help people change their lives. Uh, you know, I, I, we had a conversation with uh, some of the local uh, people in our community the other day about, uh, well, are, are you just being a magnet to draw homeless and needy people into the community? And no, the truth of the matter is we reach out to people who are in great need. Uh, most of the people that we minister to, uh, you know, in a societal sort of way, appear to be a drain on society. But after they go through our programs and their lives are transformed by Christ, uh, they become an asset to society. Uh, but this this is a unique situation we're dealing with with these firestorms right now. Uh, Whatever we can do to help the people that are hurting, we want to be there. And uh, we we are just asking for God's people to be in prayer for the victims of uh, these firestorms and to help us provide help to people who are in desperate need right now. One of the questions that's been asked in the last uh, 24 hours is, what is the most effective means of being able to help people that have been impacted by all of this? How can we be assured that resources will get to them, and most importantly, that both felt needs and, from a biblical perspective, spiritual needs will be met? And, of course, the Bay Area Rescue Mission is one of the most uh, convenient and surefire ways to do just that. Again, you can go online to bayarearescue.org and give your gift right now, fully tax deductible. And again, that's an easy way to do it online at bayarearescue.org. Or you can call toll free 888 FOOD. That's 888 888- 343 FOOD. I don't know by the time this is all said and done if any of us can say that we have not been in either our immediate family or very close in, had a friend or family member impacted by this. In fact, I learned earlier today that um, a colleague of ours, one of our members of the broadcast team here um, at the radio station, his mother in law and father in law lost their home yesterday in the Sonoma fire. So even in the extended KFAX family, we're already getting reports of people that have been impacted by all of this. If you've prayed, Lord, what can I do to make a difference? Let me encourage you, as we learned tonight, that upwards of 25,000 people have been displaced and emergency evacuation order in place now for yet another neighborhood in Santa Rosa, the Bennett Valley neighborhood along Bennett Ridge, Sonoma Mountain Road and Enterprise Road. That is a new evacuation order. Uh, I would encourage you, as Reverend Anderson said, to first be in prayer for our friends and family and neighbors in uh, the Sonoma and Napa areas in Northern California that have been impacted by the fire, and then do something from a practical standpoint to stand with ministries like the Bay Area Rescue Mission that allows the church, the body of Christ, to step forward and do what it is that God has called us to do in being light and salt. Right now, the Bay Area Rescue Mission has been providing bedding, blankets, sleeping bags, food, coffee, and water. A big truckload was delivered today. More will be delivered tomorrow, along with providing emergency shelter as best as possible for the 25,000 individuals and families impacted by this fire. To stand with our neighbors to the north and make a tangible gift 
To help them in this time of humanitarian crisis, go to bayarearescue.org. That's bayarearescue.org, or again, call toll-free, 888-343-FOOD. That's 888-343-FOOD. John Anderson, is it practical if people want to drop donations off at the Bay Area Rescue Mission? Overall, is it just easier for everybody by making financial contributions so that you guys can go out and buy whatever it is that, that's needed the most at, the, at this time of need? Uh, cash <laughs> financial donations are always the easiest to deal with, but anyone that wants to drop off food, clothing, uh, blankets, bedding, uh, can do so at, at our uh, warehouse at uh, 200 McDonald Avenue in Richmond. And we'll, we'll greatly appreciate those gifts as All well. All right, that's at 200 McDonald Avenue in Richmond. And if getting there directly is uh, too difficult for you, again, you can go online and uh, give a donation to the Bay Area Rescue Mission at bayarearescue.org. That's Bay Area Rescue. All right, there is Reverend John Anderson, the executive director with the Bay Area Rescue Mission, for an update on their efforts in working toward relieve some of this uh, crisis that seems to be growing as the days count on here. And uh, we can just uh, simply uh, and most importantly be in prayer for these people and then do what we can from a tangible standpoint to help out. Um, I, I, I just, it's overwhelming when you look at the sheer numbers and uh, no doubt uh, it will get worse before uh, the last of the fires have been put out. And that sense also of, of being overwhelmed too uh, raises questions in terms of where do we go to find some peace of mind? Certainly to Scripture, to uh, the, the sheltering arms of God is the clear answer from a Christian perspective. But then, too, for children um, who have been watching this on the news, have been hearing the stories, um, and are suddenly nervous and afraid to go to bed, how do we deal with those aspects of a tragedy like this? And then, too, the bigger picture that while thankfully in comparison to the amount of acreage burned, the number of structures that have been lost, relatively speaking, the loss of life has been minuscule, uh, not to in any way minimize the horrific number of the 21 lives that have so far been claimed by these devastating fires since Sunday night. But that said, for people that have lost homes, lost jobs, lost family members, lost keepsakes, a, a lifetime of work that literally has gone up in smoke, how do they begin the process of getting over this? And how do you deal with the grief that attends to events of this sort? Well, joining us coming up after an update on traffic is Reverend Andrea Pryor. She served as a chaplain at Ground Zero at the morgue there in the aftermath of the events of 9-11 in New York City. She currently serves as chaplain to the Rye Fire Department in New York and coincidentally has authored a recent book called The Alphabet of Grief, Words to Help in Times of Sorrow, newly published by Waterbrook. We'll talk with her coming up right after an update on traffic. Let's head back over to the KFAX Traffic Center here at 549 and get the latest. Michael Bennett, what's going on? 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I also want to mention for uh, parents with school children in the, not only the immediately affected area in the fire region, but as, as here in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, it would do well to check and see if there are any school closures taking place uh, tomorrow. Uh, we are beginning to hear reports around the Bay Area, particularly in the North Region, and that would include from Richmond as far south as um, uh, North Alameda County, the Oakland area, uh, the parts of San Francisco as well, that some schools, because of concerns over air quality, are taking basically a day off tomorrow, and uh, perhaps with a good cause, as you have been out driving around on your way home tonight and wondered about the overcast skies. That's not the famous San Francisco fog. That is, in fact, smoke from the NorCal fires. So, again, if you're concerned about air quality or um, just in general, it might do good for you to double-check and make sure that your child's school, in fact, will be open as more schools across the Bay Area are announcing closure for tomorrow because of concerns over air quality. There are a number of issues that are being grappled with in the immediate aftermath of the events of the last couple of days. Um, Certainly, most difficult is the loss of life. People that have lost a lifetime of hard work, many that we've heard that have been interviewed, have talked about keepsakes, family photographs, weddings, christenings, baby's first birthday, things of this sort that are lost forever to the fire. And the the sense of loss that a devastating event of this sort can bring can indeed be very overwhelming. We're going to talk about this as we're joined next by Andrea Raynor. She is a graduate of Harvard Divinity School, is a United Methodist minister, served in the aftermath of 9-11 as a chaplain to the morgue at Ground Zero, and currently is also chaplain to the Rye Fire Department in New York. She's written a new book called The Alphabet of Grief, Words to Help in Times of Sorrow. And Pastor Raynor, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I, I suppose for a lot of people, this early on to so much tragedy, so much loss so quickly, for a lot of folks, I would imagine the, the first initial days after suffering this kind of loss are probably just, uh, what's the word, shell-shocked. They're, they're in a sense of absolute disbelief, I would imagine. Well, that's exactly right. And, and thank you so much for having me, Craig. I, I know even though I'm on the other coast, all of our hearts here are with other people in California, the what we are seeing, you know, on on television is so heartbreaking. And um, I also have a niece and and her husband who are in Santa Rosa and had to evacuate. So um, it's, it's close to home in so many ways. Um, but yes, in right now in the in the immediate aftermath of um, of loss, there's there's definitely going to be uh, a lot of shock and numbness and. Um, not exactly denial like one would have after a death, but but a post-traumatic shock that is going to take a little a little while to um, to get over. It's um, when you lose whether you've lost a loved one, which is obviously the the most terrible of losses, or you've lost uh, you know your life work or or those heirlooms which are so important. Um, it's it's really heartbreaking, and so. I think those who who are in the outer circles really need to be patient and tender and loving with 
um, those who are experiencing those losses. And I think initially, I mean, there is that sense of comfort that... uh, Aside for the moment of the tragedy of the loss of life, uh, 21 all told so far, and authorities are suggesting uh, with as many as 380 people still unaccounted for that that number of um, deaths will likely climb before all of this is over with. But aside from that, um, I think we sometimes want to rush to words such as, well, you know, thankfully you're still here, your husband's still here, you didn't lose any children. And there's, there's great truth to all of that. But I think then, too, isn't there, though, creeping in that that sense of just the entirety of your world having been shaken to the core? I mean, the place that we call home is now suddenly gone. And so many people in the immediate moments of uh, evacuations over the last uh, now 48 to 72 hours were given moments before they were able to flee and literally with their lives and nothing more than their shirts on their backs. I would imagine in spite of the fact that we can find comfort for so many that did escape with their lives, that still the loss of a lifetime of work and the memories and the sense of security has got to bring about a a tremendous sense of of that sort of that unsettling feeling, no? I think you've articulated that just so beautifully. And, um, And again, I'm hoping for those who may be on the on the outside or the periphery of loss can really hear what you're saying because those of us who who would like to help and who want to offer comfort often make the mistake of jumping to what can feel like a platitude even though it's even though it's true to say well you know at least you're alive of course at least you're alive but that that can diminish the expression of of deep sorrow and grief for what has been lost and it's very important that we um, allow people to express their grief and to honor that when they've lost pictures from that first birthday or pictures of grandparents that aren't on our, you know, our digital, you know, media or in the cloud now. So, um, so what you're saying is exactly right, that we need to, to really allow people to express their grief of what has been lost, even if they've come out alive. Um, because it's valid, and, it, and you're exactly right. The home is a sense of security and um, and identity. So um, I, I think we have to allow the grieving to say, "Well, I'm I'm just glad that I'm alive." That's very important that they can say that, but it's not really for us to say. Once an individual gets over the initial shock, and mm-hmm. the totality of what has happened begins to sink in. And of Mm -hmm. course, we can kind of have that numbing experience because you kind of go into um, uh, emergency mode. Well, we have to get shelter. We have to contact the insurance company. There are many things in the in the opening days of an event like this that keep one focused and busy. And then as time goes on, the totality of of the devastation, the loss of of um, uh, possessions, the loss of life begins to sink in. Um, some people can stuff the feelings down. Should that be of concern? And I ask that question because um, I think sometimes in the effort to try and show that stiff upper lip or to mm-hmm. get through, so to speak, the the calamity, the the, uh, the horror of the experience, that if we fail to address um, the reality of the loss that has happened, and the loss is real, if we fail to recognize that, can that have negative connotations both emotionally and spiritually? 
I, I think so because you, you know stuffing those feelings down they're bound to come up eventually and I, I, I think sometimes there's um, guilt if you if you didn't lose someone then you might think oh well I don't really have a right to complain you know I came out with my life I was able to grab my cat and you know I, I shouldn't feel bad and all of those shoulds can hinder our both our expression of our grief and then therefore our healing so um, so again I think we we've every those who've lost homes who've lost you know treasures um, should really honor their losses and not feel guilty that they came out alive while maybe someone else did not um, so so to to feel it to feel like that's valid to find a place to express it whether going to speak with a, a minister a priest a rabbi a good friend and in, in allowing the heart to cry because I think we all wonder why these things happen and sometimes as religious people we feel like we're not allowed to ask why but um, you know even Jesus asked why hast thou forsaken me so we I think it's okay that we ask why that we express our sorrow and then eventually when those tears subside we can feel the ground beneath our feet again and figure out how we're gonna live we go from why did this happen to how can I face what has happened with some courage and with love and is it important from your experience and I mentioned in my opening remarks that mm-hmm. you counsel a lot of people that yeah. in the aftermath of 9-11 were asking the why questions yeah. and I have to wonder particularly for those of us of faith if it's mm-hmm. permissible is it necessary to allow ourselves to be honest about our feelings with God? And, and I ask that because, you know, there's a level at which we say, well, we did make it out alive. Our right. family is still intact, and we're grateful to God for that. Mm-hmm. And yet people sometimes overwhelmed by the financial burden, the questions of, you know, uh, the loss of the keepsakes and, and, mm-hmm. and the way in which the totality of one's life turns up feels turned upside down, I think it's normal to ask the question, well, God, why did my neighbor's house get spared from the fire but not mine? And sometimes we can get angry with God. Is it is it important to be, in your experience, to be honest in our feelings and the way we express them toward God? Absolutely. I, I feel like we sometimes have to have a little more trust that God can take it. You know, just like I would be able to, you know, I could take my toddler's you know, anger or emotions. There were things I understand that, and I'm, I'm. When I my kids were little, I was hopefully big enough to to take all of that outpouring of emotion. And God can take it. That our God is big enough to to wrap us in that embrace when we just are falling apart and we want to know why. And in our hearts, we know there's probably no answer to that. But um, but that to have the faith that. God can take all of those emotions, and that's the perfect place to bring them, to, you know, hurl our fists at the heavens if we need to, but, um, but to realize that, that God is big enough to take that and absorb that and to hold us and hopefully to rock us into a, a more peaceful place. Um, you know, sometimes when we don't have faith, it's our friends who are the ones who are carrying us and lowering us on our mats, you know, through a roof. and. So sometimes we're we're the ones who are there for our friends in need, and sometimes we have to allow our friends to carry us. And if and if you know you have listeners who have experienced loss right now and who are devastated and who are in pain, um, this is the time to allow 
others to carry them in prayer, to help them begin to sort out this tragedy in their lives, and to allow them to express all of those feelings so that they can, they can feel the presence of um, God in those dark valleys. But in, if, if we're denying we're in the valley, we're not going to feel the presence. And I suppose, too, we're never going to begin the healing process if we remain in that denial stage. And, you know, from mm-hmm. a biblical perspective, um, uh, Reverend Raynor, I, I, I think of the, the, the notion that God wants a real relationship with us. Right. He doesn't want us engaged in going through the routine, doing things mm-hmm. by rote, um, or, um, you know, heavily involved in the religiosity of our faith, right. but rather right. he wants real fellowship, real relationship. And so I would imagine from that perspective, God would also want us to be able to express real emotion. The feelings are real. The loss is real. And you've got to think for a moment about a biblical character like Job and what he went through and yeah. think, you know, there were moments where, you know, he, he, he really shook his fist toward the sky and, and, and demanded of God why these things had been brought upon him. And I think in the end, there is perhaps not just the importance of the acknowledgement of the reality of, of, of the real relationship God wants to have with us, but also, too, the acknowledgement of the real emotion, the real feeling, the real pain in this, so that God can, can be able to begin addressing those areas of our life and bring about a sense of, of healing. But you can't really get there until you, you feel the raw emotion or you admit that the loss or the, the grieving is, is real and necessary, can you? Well, I know in, in my own experience and with working with people who have been devastated by a loss, I, I feel like it's very hard to get there. I, I, I wouldn't speak for anyone else, but I, I think for myself and for others who have been devastated by loss, whether it's a terrorist attack or, you know, the loss um, in a calamity, a hurricane, um, fire, to to know that God always knows what's underneath our feelings, so those walls that we put up to pretend that we're okay do inhibit our spiritual growth. They do inhibit that relationship. It's like um, being in a relationship with a friend and never really telling him or her how you what you're really feeling. It's always going to be on the surface then. And so I, you know, I believe with the divine, God always knows what is there and is kind of waiting for us to trust enough to to be raw and real and then when and we're when we're there then our hearts are more open then we can hear the inspiration that comes to us we can feel the guidance that is coming to us but not if we're not if we're so well defended that we're oh you know I'm okay I'm okay I'm okay well, well more moreover beyond the, the the sheer lack of you know connectedness to reality it, it also tends to stifle what what are expected to be release opportunities of real emotion. And I would imagine we go over a, a prolonged period of time, and I wonder if you saw this with a, a lot of the survivors after 9-11, that there was a, an inclination by some uh, to n- not be in touch with the reality of the of the of the, of the enormity mm-hmm. of that shared loss experience that so many went through in New York at that time. That the inability to come in contact with their true feelings, the fear, the anger, the 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 pain, the confusion, the loss, all of those emotions kind of swirling about uh, and and shifting from one to another from from moment to moment, to not allow that to sort of come to 
to the top or come to the surface and, and, mm-hmm. and express it not only towards God, but maybe even in, in conversation with others, stifling of that, I would imagine, has got to have pretty negative impact on not only short-circuiting the grieving mm-hmm. process, but more importantly, therefore or thereby short-circuiting the healing process. Yes, you know, I, I and I certainly can admit to some of that in myself as well. You know, I I work primarily with the first responders there, and um and and offer you know I was offering blessings on remains, and so my contact was with responders. And what I've seen with responders, especially during that year of recovery and in the first few years after, there was um, there was a sense in so many of us, you know, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay with having seen that for having bless those body parts or pulled, you know, people or parts of people out of the rubble. And that um, that denial of the impact of the trauma, I think, has contributed with the lasting post-traumatic stress in responders. Um, you know, I, I think with families, it's, it's probably a different kind of a trauma. But certainly the sense that I'm okay, you know, I can handle it, that has, that has delayed um, the kind of spiritual and mental wellness for many people, because it, it doesn't make us weak to admit that something was horrendous or that we were broken by it, um, but in that brokenness, there's still a possibility for healing. And I know in my own faith, I, you know, I think of the words of Reverend Sloan, uh, William Sloan Coffin, who lost a 23-year-old child to a car accident, and he said, I don't know enough to say if something is God's will or not, but I know that God's was the first of all of our hearts to break when my son went into the Boston Harbor. And even Rabbi Harold Kushner says, I would like to think that God is as outraged as we are when terrible things happen. So having a God who suffers with us is much more comforting to me than having one who wants us to pretend that we're okay when we're not. I mentioned in my introductory remarks about children, not mm-hmm. only children that have lost their their comfort zone, so to mm-hmm. speak, uh, but then, too, for many that are watching it, uh, parents that have uh, friends and family that maybe stay glued to the TV set because they want to mm-hmm. know what's going on, children that are watching all of this mm-hmm. and don't understand what a lot of it means. They're maybe of that age where they just see fire and they're enormously mm-hmm. scared what yeah. kind of words of comfort? How do we put this in perspective? When when a 50-year-old is having a difficult time putting this in perspective and making sense out of it, mm-hmm. um, how do you help a 6-year-old do it? Well, in, in terms of a 6-year-old, because it really depends on the age of the child, young children primarily want to know that they're going to be okay, that they're going to be taken care of, that there's um, that there's going to be you know, breakfast to eat in the morning. And so whatever words of comfort that we can offer children that, um, yes, you know, this, this thing has happened. It, um, you know, it, there's, there's been a loss here, but we're going to be okay. And then having the wisdom to limit some of those um, images on the screen to uh, be informed, but then to turn off the television, to turn off the screens, especially with young children. I saw that uh, with 9-11 that, you know, so many people watch those images over and over and over again of the planes hitting the buildings, and children were absorbing this as well, and that that's almost a re, re-traumatizing a child. So for, for the young children, for parents of young children to, even if everything is lost in their homes, 
to reassure them that, you know, mom and dad are here, that we're going to be okay, that um, there are people to help. It was Fred Rogers who said, you know, in times of trouble, his mother always told him to look for the helpers. And I think that's a very important thing for children is to point out the helpers, point out the firefighters who were there to put out the fires, point out the volunteers who are bringing supplies. We always look for the helpers, and that that is also reminding us of the, the best in humanity. We certainly don't want to short-circuit, so to speak, as we've suggested tonight, the, the grieving process. And that process and what's involved is perhaps a little bit different for all of us. But I wonder, too, if we make a major mistake by getting, as you're suggesting, perhaps so caught up and overwhelmed by the news cycle and the reports and the pictures and the images and all of the stories, whether we were impacted directly or indirectly by this, that we get so get caught up in all of that, that we we fail to recognize that there is an aspect of which we have to to recognize a time to move on, a time to rebuild, a time to recognize that this tragedy has happened. Now we're in the process of beginning to put it past us. And if we fail to do that, I would imagine it's it's almost as if you're sort of traumatizing yourself over and over again. I remember speaking of 9-11, I was in North Korea when 9-11 happened. And when I returned, we were on a a trip with a number of broadcasters, and when I returned to um, uh, China, um, the the broadcaster that I happened to be traveling with was a talk show host from New York City. We were stuck in China. We could not get air flights back into the United States for multiple days. And of course, he had people that were in his condo building that were unaccounted for. He had a view from one window at uh, the World Trade Center. New York was home for him. And over the course of the week that we were stuck in Beijing waiting to uh, get an airplane back to the United States, he literally had the television set CNN International on 24 hours a day. And, And after a while, wow, you just get a sense of being so overwhelmed by this that you almost don't know the difference anymore between the tragedy that is behind you and the positive things that are still left in life and the rebuilding that you have to do looking forward. How do you disconnect when you get caught up in that cycle? You know, I think it's very important to make sure you are engaging in some normal aspects of your life. And for people who've lost their homes, it's very hard. But um, for, again, maybe those who are not as directly affected, we have to be very careful not to become so emotionally numb or you know, we have we can become almost have a grief fatigue the way that nation I think has a compassion fatigue right now with so many of the terrible things and images that we've seen happening from Las Vegas to the hurricanes to the earthquakes. It's we can begin to feel very emotionally numb where we can't even access our compassion for one another, much less our our kind of determination to move on, to continue on, to live on. We really hardly move on from a, a terrible event. We, we choose to live on, and how are we going to live? We, we can't control everything that happens to us, certainly, but we can always choose our response to what life brings. And so I think our prayer is to respond with courage, with faith, with compassion for one another. So 
it's important if you're beginning to feel inundated or beginning to feel numb, emotionally numb from these images that have happened over the course of the last few months and certainly right now in California, make sure you take a moment to re-engage with your life. If you have a dog, you know, take a little walk. If you have a friend who's lost their home and they have children, get some books and bring them over. There are always some helpful things that we can do to um, to begin to re-engage in normal life. Um, and again, not to and, and to allow our friends and loved ones who experience these losses to express it. It's very different, for example, for someone who's lost their home to say, you know, thank goodness I still have my family, than for a friend to say, well, at least you're alive. You know, it's very different. Um, those those sorts of expressions of gratitude and um, and thanksgiving for what has not been lost have to come from those who are most affected by this this terrible event. And there certainly does seem to be that sense of uh, going on tilt overload by many as we have watched what seems to be just this string of tragedies from the hurricanes um, in the Texas Gulf to the Florida Keys to Las Vegas to now the fires in Northern California and to a lesser degree in Southern California. And, and you can get so got, caught up in these cycles of, of misery that it's difficult to know um, how to get disconnected or, or how to step back into the reality of the comfort that we can find in our relationship with Christ, the comfort that's available to us in Scripture, and, and the comfort that we can share with one another. Um, our conversation tonight with Reverend Andrea Raynor has been a, a bit of an attempt to try and, and kickstart, so to speak, that healing and restorative process. Uh, there's much that we have to think through and work through all of this um, in the coming days and weeks, no doubt about that. I think, though, at the end, to understand uh, what the grieving process is all about and how to find healing um, and how to get back on the road toward living is critically important. This book, by the way, can be a very helpful tool for yourself, a loved one, that is dealing with not just the grief of the loss of what we've seen the last 72 hours with the wildfires here in Northern California, but any kind of an event that happens. And that grief can run the gambit from uh, the loss of a loved one to the loss of a marriage. If you want to get more information about the book, as we mentioned, uh, this is a newly released and available through our friends at Waterbrook Press. You can order the book online through Amazon.com. You can also get more information through Reverend Raynor's website at ReverendAndreaRaynor.com. That's R-A-Y-N-O-R. The book is called The Alphabet of Grief, Words to Help in Times of Sorrow. All right, um, let's get a quick update here. I mentioned earlier that there have been a number of schools that are closing as a result of air quality concerns throughout northern and um, the the North Bay area. Um, Latest word into the KFAX newsroom, all Vallejo City public schools will be closed for the balance of the week due to the wildfires. Um, This, again, is because of the concern over air quality. Um, Monday will be a regularly scheduled professional development day with students set to return to classes on Tuesday, October the 17th. 
And again, this is impacting all Vallejo City Public Schools. If you're in that region, and I would say anywhere from um, northern Alameda County, um, certainly on the peninsula from north San Mateo County upwards, um, you might, instead of just dropping the kids off or assuming they're going to make it to school okay, you might want to check in to make sure that, in fact, the school that your student attends will, in fact, be open tomorrow as an increasing number of public schools across the Bay Area will be closed due to concerns over air quality. And again, this is impacting students um, that attend public schools in the city of Vallejo. All right, we're at 619. Let's get an update on traffic right now. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center and the latest with Michael Bennett. Michael. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.